So a big reason why I've started this podcast in the first place is to really think through my own political identity and to also just think through my issues in general and make sense of my place in the world. My belief is that this should help everybody with this kind of thought process and everybody's orientation with society and goals and interests and priorities, etc. And politics is just such a natural way to start that conversation. It's not the best way necessarily. It's a little antagonistic and militant and fraught and difficult and annoying. But I hope when it's just me talking my thoughts through, we can avoid that kind of stuff. You know, I'm not here to fight anybody. I'm not here to face off and start arguments and lose friends and all this. But in real life, that does happen. And it's sad. And it's weird because I've always seen eye to eye with my peers when I went to UC Berkeley, even before that, as, you know, uh, the president of a civil rights club and going on marches and being into punk music and dressing like, you know, a ska punk rude boy and with the checkered patterns and just being anti-racist and feminist and all these things, I've always felt really strongly identified with radical left ideas. And I guess that made me kind of antagonistic toward centrists and people on the right for sure. And as I've grown up more, I've become more centered and centrist in my politics, kind of. But, you know, I've done a few episodes of this podcast already, and I've definitely reaffirmed my commitment to being pro-choice in regard to abortion and separating church and state in regard to, you know, governance and religion and reducing the military budget, not trying to be Ameri- uh, the world's police force, you know, as a foreign policy, as an American, these kind of things. Like I'm trying to think these things through for myself to remind myself where I stand and to really assert my beliefs and my, uh, my values and not just take them for granted and not just take what's given to me. And I've been using this online quiz called isidewith.com to help me uh, formulate these thoughts. This is a quiz designed to help you decide who to vote for in the 2020 election, which Democrat should face off against Donald Trump and who you really believe in. This is a second edition of this podcast episode, a new version that I've uploaded in replacement of the original file, which... I did record in October 2019 and have since listened back and I I was a little sloppy with my uh, descriptions of events and my journalistic coverage of these topics. And I want to be a little more careful in explaining these issues because it might be worthwhile to get some things right here. So I'm re-uploading this and I'm going to talk this through with a little more wisdom, let's say. This topic comes from a very benign sounding question on isidewith.com under social issues. The question is this, should universities provide trigger warnings and safe spaces for students? It doesn't sound like much, but we're going to spend, well, 
up to an hour talking about this because it's actually way deeper than it sounds on the surface. This question really opens up a discussion on modern social justice and the far left. And this is a very big issue. It becomes clear that it's a big issue in 2020. In 2019, it was still not totally clear to a lot of people. In 2015, when a lot of these events were happening, it wasn't clear at all. Nobody really understood what was going on. And that's what I want to talk through here because I was aware of this stuff at the time. And I actually felt crazy for caring about it. And what I mean is that I started rejecting the typical train of thought or thought process that a lot of my peers would have on these topics. And I started finding myself on the other side of things. So while I have reaffirmed my liberal, rather leftist, even progressive politics in most arenas like healthcare, education, uh, abortion rights, uh, drug uh, treatment and policy, uh, the criminal justice system, and on and on. This is where I'm less progressive. This is where I'm pushing back a little bit. And I think it's important that we all think this through, lest we all just get succumbed and overwhelmed and taken by our own social groups on these topics. Quite frankly, I think this topic represents a line too far, or rather, you know, crossing a certain line. Um, Horseshoe theory is kind of a silly idea where uh, if you go far enough left or right, they kind of turn into the same thing. And I kind of appreciate the, the idea there. If you look at evil, villainous despots and dictators and totalitarians and tyrants in history, you know, if you compare Hitler and Stalin they're not that different, right? They both slaughtered millions en masse for their own megalomaniacal world visions in a way. And yet one was a communist aiming for all people to be equal. And the other was a nationalist aiming for the German people specifically above everyone else. And yet in the end, I mean, what's the difference kind of when you implement policies that send millions into starvation, into working camps and gulags and concentration camps and death. So it gets bad. It gets really bad. And when you're aware of that stuff, when you're sensitive to how these things can play out and how they start, you become really wary of the kind of news stories that I'm going to talk about today. So let's get into that. Let's start on the face of it. Trigger warnings and safe spaces. What are those things? Well, a trigger warning is this idea that, and again, we're talking about on campus. So at universities and colleges, we're talking about for young people aged 18 to 22 or thereabouts, young adults who are off from their homes in general in the States, living on campuses And these campuses can range from very well-to-do, posh, privileged places like Yale down to community colleges where people still might be living at home. Now, I want to make that clear, the context that we're talking about this in, because 
the university stands for something historically, a place of knowledge, a place of learning in pursuit of truth. It stands for this value of truth. And the way you get to truth is by confronting harsh ideas and facing hard realities. And that is how I grew up. And I really do value that. I don't know if that dates me, if it separates me from a younger generation, maybe it does. But I really do believe that a learning campus, a place for knowledge is a place to pursue truth first and foremost. Now I want to make that very clear because that is my guiding principle on this topic. So a trigger warning is this concept wherein a professor warns the students that they're about to hear something difficult or confrontational. For instance, if I'm teaching history and I'm discussing the Atlantic slave trade and how Africans were brought to the new worlds to become chattel slaves, indentured servants working without pay, becoming like being whipped, being subjugated to a a white supremacist system, right? This is something that we all basically know about. Maybe in high school, your education doesn't explore it too deeply, whatever. Uh, In college, you generally deepen that knowledge. You add a lot more detail, you understand a lot more nuance, and you, you put together more pieces for a more broad understanding of something. Or rather a more, um, is broad the right word I want to use there? In any case, this is the idea of learning, isn't it? I think we can understand that. A trigger warning supposes that perhaps a black student or students in my class aren't emotionally equipped to hear that information and that they require a warning, like um, a movie rating or a video game rating or some sort of like brace yourself, hold on, I'm about to say something that might offend you or hurt you. And this is for facts. This is not even for opinions. This is in the context of learning. That's what a trigger warning is. A safe space is a place where a student or anyone can go where their cherished beliefs and opinions won't be challenged by ideas, by confrontational or adversarial thoughts. This is a protected, biased place in favor of the student needing protection, needing armor around a dangerous worlds where ideas attack her or him. This is a safe space, supposedly. This is how this phrase is being used. A room where a student can go when somebody comes to campus that challenges their opinion or worldview, where they can feel safe. Because the implication being they don't feel safe in a lecture hall where somebody is talking in a way that challenges them. This really upsets me, I have to say. This really disturbs me because it's totally 
opposite to how I feel about this phrase. I think of us in a safe space right now, you and me, where I can speak my ideas freely, where I can think out loud without judgment. The whole idea of my podcast is to think out loud. I have not written an essay on this topic. I've thought about it a lot already, but I'm thinking it through aloud. And I'm doing that on my own. I'm speaking to myself into this microphone. I am physically safe in my apartment. Uh, I'm alone. The windows are closed. The doors are locked. The city feels safe. Um, But more importantly, I feel safe mentally and emotionally because I can voice whatever thoughts I want and I'm not being antagonized by a debater with me. So many times these kind of conversations devolve into a really annoying debate, as plenty of you understand. That's not what this is about. This is about thinking through these difficult topics safely and thoughtfully. And I don't believe everything that I say. I might think aloud, hmm, what is going on on campuses? Are, why are so many people so stupid? You know, why are, why are there more stupid college kids these days? Why, you know, that might be an offensive thing to say, you know, and the further I go with it, the more offensive it could become. I don't know, but I feel safe to voice it. And if you were here with me and you were in this space with me, maybe you could say, Keith, you know, that might be a little far or whatever. That's a safe space where I can say anything. Not where you can't say anything. That's not a safe space. That's a censored space. That's a, you know, a fair boaten space where ideas are militantly censored and silenced. And that's the world we live in now. It's cancel culture. It's call out culture. It's virtue signaling and scoring points against people. All these phrases, all these buzzwords relate to the idea of safe spaces and trigger warnings. And I am extremely suspicious of them because they are representative of a new world order that is approaching and it's not good. And I'll make the wildest analogies here. It feels like a witch hunt. It feels like McCarthyism. It feels like these eras in history where people lost their minds and became hysterical. And uh, I use that word sensitively, knowing its roots in something like sexism, the root of it being the same as histrionics and hysterectomy and something involving a womb. In any case, mob mentalities are what I fear most. And giving into these mob mentalities and demands is something that I'm not willing to do which is why I stand against safe spaces. And my opinions on this coalesced around two, at least, major events on college campuses, one in 2015, one in 2017. And I'm going to describe these two events for you. 2015, October, Yale University in New Haven, Connecticut. This is considered one of the best, if not the best, colleges in America, if not the world. It's a very prestigious institution with an enormous endowment. It 
costs a lot of money for people that can afford it. It costs almost no money for underprivileged and disadvantaged students who do get in and do get free rides, despite the line of thought these days that America is a a white supremacist place where people are constantly and continually disadvantaged. It's not true. So on this campus in 2015, there was an uproar about Halloween costumes. And if you paid any attention to culture, you know that Halloween can be a difficult time for people, not because of typical fears of monsters and goblins and ghouls and witches and whatever monsters, but more because of stuff like blackface and cultural appropriation and dressing up as an Amerindian Native American person or dressing up as, you know, a Vato from, you know, like Hispanic culture or wearing a Chinese dress. That's more related to the prom story. But anyways, the point is Halloween can touch some hot buttons. And this is how it played out. Our main characters are a faculty couple, actually, called Erica and Nicholas Christakis. They were kind of the adults in the room in a certain section of Yale's campus. They were in charge of a certain house or college. And there was talk, there were some mutterings among the students that they wanted uh, to make sure that nobody wore offensive costumes. And Erica Christakis wrote an email to the students saying essentially, are you sure you think that faculty or staff need to police this issue? Uh, are you sure you want to cede your freedoms that way to a higher power? Uh, you know, you do uh, study and live at a very uh, prestigious institution rooted in the expression of free free expression and free speech and maturity, etc. Her point is just that, look, you kids are young adults who are supposedly very intelligent and you are existing in a space of free expression. And why do you want to give up your rights to expression? Uh, are you sure you want to do that? And the kids got upset and they went out and they were protesting this. And her husband, Nicholas Krusakis came out and he was basically trying to talk it through intellectually, trying to explore this idea of where faculty and staff uh, existed in this holiday event, right? What was their role to tell people what not to wear and what was okay to wear? He and his wife were being extremely mature and thoughtful and intelligent, thinking, well, who the hell knows what you're allowed to wear? You figure it out. I, we trust you guys to figure that out. Why, do you, why are you asking us to police that as authoritarians, Right. So let's imagine what kind of backlash he faced. I'm going to play some audio. So we're sitting here telling you that you are being racist. You are being offensive. You admitted that you hurt us. Why can't you say sorry? Thank you. I'm sorry. 
one at a time, please. One at a time. It's very easy for any trivial world of mine to be misinterpreted. So one at a time. I'm happy to speak to you as much as you want. I can't speak to you as much as you because I have other students that need time as well. So, unfortunately, a little bit. Already I'm late. I'll have to go back. But there'll be more opportunities. Let me just say while I'm here a couple things. Uh, a couple things. Give me one second to say. We are meeting with Asilomen only students uh, at noon to 2 on Sunday. Who signed, uh, He's been called racist already here. Apparently for opening up a possibility for racism to occur. That's the challenge right now. Let's keep listening. And to see the extent to which they're in agreement with your beliefs. <laughs> That you, you, you seem to think that somehow I don't agree with the content of your beliefs. And that's not what's happening from my perspective. From my perspective. I, I don't okay. see you as can I, can I Can I say something? Can I, can okay. I just interject really quickly? The moral of Michaela's comment is now the moral of the story is that she wants an apology, yet you respond not with an apology. That's 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 my point. I'm just saying, are you gonna are you gonna can I can I finish? Are you going to address the heart of her comment? That's all I want. Are you gonna give an apology? Are you gonna say that you're hearing us? Are you gonna then go to the lengths that she wants you to go to, which to me don't seem very far, but still seem we're not making a judgment on Master Christakis is inherently like we just want an acknowledgement of hurt and we have yet to get that which Michaela just said in different words so my question is are you going to say that or not because then I could just leave if you're not going to say that I've heard from I was at the discussion I hear I'm going to be there on Sunday and I'm going to listen but like what I'm listening for I've not yet heard so I'm just asking are you going to provide that or are you not going to provide that I have to think about this idea for a moment the idea of apologizing Yes, because let me ask you this. If I ask you to apologize right now for delaying me from all my other obligations to other students... There's a lot going on here. Uh, I don't know exactly which how to parse out this video, but essentially you're, ha- see, you're hearing a confrontation in which students are holding hostage a teacher and berating him for every point that he tries to make. They don't want to have a conversation on his level. He's trying to meet them on their level, but he knows that they're being babies. So there's a girl breaking into tears over the fact that she's not getting an apology from Nicholas Christakis. It's still not clear to me what they want the apology for. You have created space for violence. I disagree with that. I disagree with that. You I disagree. I disagree that I've fostered violence. I disagree with that statement. Yes. What is your name? You don't need to bend down. To I'm not bending. Down. What's do, your name? Do, do, I don't want to. I do not want to shake your okay. hand. I do not want. I, I do not respect you. I don't hear that. I'm looking at the smirk in your face, and I, I'm disgusted. Okay. I am sick. And I'm sick watching them argue with you. After we've been standing outside literally for at least five to six hours between you and Holloway, between last night to now, 
We've been arguing with people who are not willing to be listened to for a long time, and all I see from you is arrogance and ego. I am sick looking at you. I am disgusted watching Alex argue with you. You are not listening. You are disgusting. I don't think you understand that. And before I wasn't, I, before I was not angry, per se, I was disappointed maybe. I thought maybe there was room for, for an apology. You've clearly told us that you do not plan to offer an apology for your words. You left the meeting last night to go home and then tweet, do not interrupt me, to tweet from your Twitter and then the Silliman's Twitter. You showed no remorse. You tried to let your wife leave that conversation without having answered for herself. That is disgusting. That is sick. And now, I wasn't angry before. I was not angry before, but now I am actually angry, sir. I really, do not interrupt me. I was not angry, and now I want your job to be taken from you. I don't want you to have this job. I am disgusted knowing that you work at Yale University where I will get my degree, where I will look back and think I have to argue with you. Don't do it. She's don't she's do it, sir. Do not do it. This is not the day. You do not want to play this game with me. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't want to play this game with me. Okay? Understand that. Look me in my face, first of all, and understand that you are such a disappointment to this university, to your students, to yourself, to the things that you claim to agree with. You are you want free dialogue? You want free speech? This is how it works. Someone speaks, you listen. You do not cut them off. You do not do these, these condescending gestures. You do not smirk. Yeah, you look them in the face you. and you wait. You wait until it is your turn. It was not your turn when your wife sent out that email. Mm. It was not your turn. It was our turn to send out an email to these students and tell them not to, to appropriate our cultures or, den or denigrate us. To respect us. It was not your turn, sir. It has never been your fucking turn for a long time. You've had your turn. You had your opportunity to, get, to apologize to these people. You had it, and I'm sick that they're still waiting for it because you're not going to give it to them. It's clear. And I'm not waiting. I'm going to leave, and I'm going to get my money. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do my homework. I'm going to watch scandals. How to with murder. my life knowing that you are going to be the disgusting man you were 20 seconds ago, a minute ago, 30 minutes ago, an hour ago, a week ago, and onward. Knowing that I can't reach you, but I want you to understand that I am done. I am done, personally. They should be done, and I really hope that y'all just go home and leave this man alone in this courtyard with his chalk and his sick beliefs or whatever the hell this is. This is sick. I'm done. I don't know what to say after watching that. It's it's like it hurts my soul to see these students act this way. It hurts. And like I want to start googling like this was in 2015 like they've graduated. Are they working in positions? Are they climbing ladders of power? Are like are they entering workforces now where they make decisions that affect people's lives yeah probably probably and that disturbs me this is why i don't support this movement because i mean i don't know maybe you heard that and you agreed with her maybe you agreed that he was sick and disrespectful and shouldn't have his job <laughs> because he sent out an email not wanting to police the students as a faculty advisor <laughs> and these kids are offended because it's their home or something like these kids are overly sensitive 
and don't understand that the world is complicated and that ideas have to be hammered out with people that you don't agree with all the time. That's the world. And the idea of a safe space goes against that. The idea of a trigger warning that you need a warning before you're confronted with something difficult is absurd. It's going backwards. It's going, it's regressing. It's regressive. The way that you get stronger as talked about in the coddling of the American mind in any situation you're in, if you've suffered trauma, if you have a phobia, the way you get stronger is by facing your fear is by doing the work as people like to say, (laughs) to build up your courage, to build up your strength, to become brave and to face things not to cancel everyone that disagrees with you, not to eliminate all dissent and erase any enemies. That's not the answer. That's what the evil despots of history would have done and did. That's who you want to model yourself after. So this was the Yale confrontation of 2015. Uh, Pretty interesting story. Not a good one. Let's pivot to the other side of the country, to a smaller state college, Evergreen, in Washington State. Brett Weinstein is a biology professor there, has been a lifelong leftist supporting liberal causes and minority students. There is a tradition on that campus called the Day of Absence in which students of color intentionally stay home to make their absence felt. In 2017, organizers of this event decided to flip the script, as it were. Their intention was to instead ask all white students, and faculty to stay home. That day of absence would be highlighted with uh, education on race issues for the white people on campus. Brett Weinstein objected to this. I'm going to read his statement. This is an email he sent to the organizers. There is a huge difference between a group or coalition deciding to voluntarily absent themselves from a shared space in order to highlight their vital and underappreciated roles, and a group encouraging another group to go away. The first is a forceful call to consciousness, which is, of course, crippling to the logic of oppression. The second is a show of force, an act of oppression in and of itself. That was his belief, and he intended to teach his class that day. He was pilloried almost violently. The students demanded he step down. They marched and protested loudly against him. He felt unsafe on the days leading up to campus, bicycling around campus. Uh, The campus police took note of this and tried to up their presence on campus and were told to stand down by the university president who sided with the students. And 
did nothing to protect Brett Weinstein or his wife, Heather Hang. Uh, the couple actually ended up suing for damages against their well-being, and that was settled out of court. Let's listen to some of this one. Sorry to let that run so long. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how effective it is to just hear this, but I find it quite powerful to watch and listen to, just to just witness this level of discourse. You know, I've read about this. I'm going to talk about both of these instances together. In both of these campus incidences, these mobs are largely minority groups. These are black and Latino people generally. I don't know if that's worth noting. I'm not sure if it matters or not. I would like to think it doesn't, but I think it might. I think there is probably a cultural difference going on. I think there is something like a different social world inhabited by the uh, middle-class Uh, adults involved in these stories and the uh, kids coming to school, to university and thinking that this is a necessary way to behave in the face of perceived uh, intolerance toward them. And let's recognize where they are correct. There is a history of white supremacy in the USA there is a history of oppression against their groups insofar as they are relating to their skin color. You know, uh, they have to imagine it a hundred years earlier. Um, but apparently they're doing that. These kids are privileged. They're going to good schools. They're getting good educations. They're being listened to. They're being, their behavior is being tolerated. I don't know of any 
you know, I don't know of any punishments or backlash at them, except besides a public judgment in the court of public opinion. Otherwise, these students have the same rights that I had as a student that any other student might have. I mean, to go to Yale is a big deal. It's a big deal to go to Yale. So one wonders what the difference is here. Like, what can we say about the side that demands safe spaces? Well, my personal take, my analysis is that it's just a weak move, that it doesn't benefit you as a vulnerable student, even if you are a person of color or a minority of, in some sort, of some sort. It doesn't behoove you to coddle your weakness and demand that the white man in charge bends over for you to mock and humiliate. This is not the way to win in life. And you can probably yell louder. You can probably be more hysterical and make more of a scene. You also have intimidation physically, as some of the students demonstrate in these videos, which is quite scary to see. Um, and you have enough cultural clout to convince a lot of people to read Robin DiAngelo's book, White Privilege, sorry, White fragility rather you have the ability to convince a lot of faculty to stand on your side and ask the police to stand down and to require everyone to read white fragility you have the power to you know make black lives matter the loudest movement of the year and to convince most white people around the world that there's something wrong with them for being white and living in Europe, I can attest to that. Plenty of people around me think that black people are hunted right now. And this is a dangerous ideology. That's why I do not support safe spaces and trigger warnings. If somebody like Ben Shapiro is coming to your campus to talk, let him speak, hear his point of view, debate him, f ridicule him in speech. That's how we do things in the world of civility, not civility, in a civilized world, yes, but in just a modern society. This is how we avoid violence and gang war. And I just have to wonder if this is like a very tribal gang war mentality being brought into public discourse. And I hate it. I resent it. I disapprove. And the answer is not to just retreat into a safe space when your side can't win or to just cancel somebody if you feel like that's your leverage. I'll be talking about this topic more and more as this podcast continues. So I'm going to leave it there to simply answer. No, I do not support safe spaces and trigger warnings on campus. I think it's a, it's a, a bad omen for things to come. And that this is woke activism. This is intersectionality and it's dressed up in equity and, uh, 
you know, tolerance, but it is not that. It is not that. This is not a loving, humane spirit. So beware. And if you think I'm wrong, convince me. Tell me why I'm wrong. I would like to know what the value of this, these things are. And if we change the dynamics, if we're talking about children, like five-year-olds, yes. <laughs> Protect people from information that's dangerous. I do agree with that in terms of development. But for adults and for people at university that are of age, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Let's not downgrade our universities into places for soft, amorphous, weak thinking. Okay, guys, until next time. Ciao.